Good morning. Good morning to everyone. For all of you who are watching online, again, my name is Jay. And as we speak at this moment, it's, um, let's see, it's 10-12. Riley Santon, Matt and Stacy's son Riley, is running the New York City Marathon. Isn't that crazy? He's running, yeah. We're, we're going to pray for Riley in just a moment. And so with Matt being out of town, you're stuck with me, um, but there is so much um, to be given in, in God's word, and there are some incredible things um, that Paul shares in, in these following chapters. So we're in 1 Corinthians 9, we're in 1, in 1 Corinthians 9 but we're sort of sweeping this 8, 9, and 10. So we'll, we'll hopefully get out here b- before 1, I think, but there's just a lot to cover with this chapter, but we'll, we'll focus on, on just a few things. But getting back to, to Riley's marathon, the, the verse, the end of verse, chapter 9, just has some incredible things to communicate to us. And I think it's so, um, whatever the word is, it, it just, it, this is so good in, in light of what's happening as Riley is running. So I believe that verse is up there. It's 1 Corinthians 9, um, verses 24 to 27. So it says this, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So Riley is running this incredible race, and I don't believe I could ever do that. He's running 26.2 miles through the streets of Manhattan, and he's trained for months. For months, he's exercised strict self-control and strict discipline in in this marathon race and and putting in in the time. He's had to put away his bonbons and his deep-fried whatevers, you know, to avoid those, and he's had to discipline himself every day for the longest run of his life. He's competing with thousands of runners, but most likely, I'm guessing, his greatest competition is is himself. All this to say, Riley points to this even more important race that we talk about this morning. A race the Apostle Paul is running, and that a race that he's also inviting us to. So let's pray. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Um, for this time of worship. Thank you that we can raise a hallelujah to you, that we can praise you, that we can grow in you, that we can learn from you. And Jesus, with these guests, with our church family, with um, we unite in prayer and lift up Riley. And we pray that he would run this race so well that you would give him strength and energy and remind him that, that, that you are with him, you are um, helping him run and giving him strength. 
So God, remind us of, of those words and remind us of what Paul is teaching us today in your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I, just, what I said, I'm trying to cover some ground with chapters 8 to 10. And at the, the beginning of chapter 8, and even at the end of chapter 10, Paul's dealing with a specific issue. And it's not so pertinent today, but it's this issue of this young church at Corinth dealing with how, what, should I eat this? Should I eat this meat that is sacrificed to idols? Tables are set up in, the, in these foreign temples that, and, and people are able to, to gather the, the meat and eat it, and it's, it's being sold right outside, and this messy church of Corinth with its many idols, with many religions being worshipped, to a young believer who wants to follow Jesus, that's confusing. And that might be confusing for, for us today in this 21st century. And the younger believers, they don't want to eat, eat this meat. They're uneasy. And they see this as a stumbling block. It's a detriment. This is, I don't feel good about this. So Paul shares there are more mature believers and they don't see that it's that big of a deal. Let's have a barbecue. Let's, let's eat this. But the greater issue that, that's coming up um, and what Paul will talk about is this, that the, is that in Christ, believers in Christ, we are given freedom. But how do we express that freedom? We know that we're set free from the bondage and shame of sin. We're set free, we're free from death, and we're live, we are to live freely as citizens of God's kingdom. And in chapter 8, and at the end of chapter 10, Paul wants the church to be careful. He wants them to, to exercise caution and not hurt the faith of younger Christian brothers and sisters. And so he wants the church and all of us to act in love. So in chapter 10, you don't need to turn there, but it says, Paul speaks to this idea that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial, as he talks about freedom. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. And in verse 24, Paul shares, no one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. So all this to say, I'm, I'm sharing Paul's attitude and philosophy of freedom. And we're hopefully going to see this in, in 3D in, in chapter 9. And just for just a quick aside, Paul's life is amazing. And there's such an irony to his story. And stepping away from just a second from 1 Corinthians, if, if you remember in the book of Ephesians, in the book of Philippians, in the book of Colossians, and to um, a person named Philemon, there's, there's a thread throughout those letters as Paul writes to these churches. And, and I'm maybe asking you the question for this quick test, where is Paul writing from? Right. He's, he's, writing, he's writing these letters from jail. He's writing them from prison. And besides Jesus, I can't think of anyone more free than Paul. And so that brings us to our outline, and, and 
Paul's definition, and, and maybe I should have just said perspective of freedom is this, and this is in your outlines. Paul gives up his own rights for the benefit of someone else. In our culture, that expression of freedom is often, I'm free to do and be whatever I want, wherever, whenever, whenever, with whomever, whenever. As a, as a believer and follower of Jesus, Paul's definition of freedom is entirely different. And so chapter 9 is a deep dive into his defense and explanation of how he expresses the freedom that he has in Christ. So the heart of our time is, is spent in verses 19 to 23, but Paul leading up, th these are some verses to set up Paul's breakdown or Paul's idea, perspective of freedom, Paul's definition. In verse 1 it says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? And so the, the continuing verses is he's free to be supported by the church. He's free to take a wife. He's free to experience the fruit of his labor as he serves and works in the church at Corinth. It goes on in verse 11. It says, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap material benefits from you? If others have the right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? But then in the, in the chapter, Paul pivots. Paul, Paul turns around and, and, and he makes this unyielding, unrelenting decision um, that he has made to share the gospel and to serve in Corinth. Now he's, he's free to receive these things, but he gives them up. All for the sake of sharing the gospel. Now, I'm, I'm stealing from a message um, that get, Matt gave me that he wrote, I, I think over 15 years ago, but he said, Paul gave up being paid for his ministry because he did not want anyone to be able to say that he was only preaching the gospel so that he could fill his own pockets with the money people gave. So his motive Summed up in these verses, we go, we go to verse 12. He says, if we've sown spiritual things for you, is it too much if we reap benefits from you? If others have this right to receive benefits from you, don't we even more? And all of that to Paul is nothing. I don't care about that. And he says in verse 16, for if I preach the gospel... I have no reason to boast because I am compelled to preach and woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. What then is my reward, verse 18? To preach the gospel and offer it free of charge and not make full use of my rights in the gospel. So Paul's freedom is bound for our benefit. And as we look at these verses, it's also about getting this message of grace and the gospel out, out to as many people as he can. So this is, man, that's a lot of introduction, but this is the heart of, of what we're talking about in verse 19. 
Although I am free from all and not anyone's slave, I've made myself a slave to everyone in order to win more people. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ, to win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. Now I do this because of the gospel so that I may share in the blessings. So we're going to unpack that and, and fill in those slippery blanks that, 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 that need to be filled out in your eye outline. And um, the first one is this. Our message is the good news of Jesus. That's our message. There's a method, there's a motivation, there's a power, and we're going to talk about, these, about those things that we find um, in verses 19 to 23. And our message is the good news of Jesus. Now, Paul in this chapter hasn't defined that or described that, but he's mentioned this several times. Woe to me if I don't preach this message. Woe to me if I don't share it to you. And this is the wonderful message of grace. It's a wonderful message of grace given to us that explains that a loving God has given his son Jesus to us. His son is God in human form and he knows our greatest joys and our darkest hurts and he's created us, he loves us, and he has come to deal with this problem that he's seen and that we know that's in the world, this problem of sin and rebellion and destruction that exists in every human heart and that separates us from the love of God. And he will deal with this sin problem through his death on a wooden cross. He will show us the life that we are to live and he will die the death that we deserve to die. And Christ, Jesus, takes the full penalty and punishment of the Father's anger and wrath over sin and takes our place on the cross so that we can know God and spend eternal life with him. But not only does he die, he defeats death. And he's raised to life. And so are we. As our faith and as our trust is placed in his son Jesus. And his love sustains us and transforms us. And as we love, as we grow in love with God, we want to share this love with others. And this is the, the news that he is compelled to preach. This is not advice. And it's not telling us that we need to clean up our act. That we need to get our, our stuff together. This is good news. It's a gift. It's not something you earn. It's something that you receive by believing. And him and a band of others will 
give their lives over to share this good news. And Paul is simply saying, I want you guys to know this. Jesus saved me and he is able to save you too. So we remember that message. We live in that message. We are changed by that message. But our method, as Paul shares, is this. Our, me- our, method, our method is this, laying down our rights. Paul says, I've made myself a slave to everyone. To the Jews, I've become a Jew. And Paul is able to engage this audience in the best of ways because J- Paul is Jewish. And that is, that's his heritage. And Paul knows the law and understands the law. He understands circumcision and the value of that and not the value of that. He says, I know our people and I know the law more than anyone. But Jesus has a response to that. And his way is better than the way, the way of, of what you once knew. He's able to speak to them because he knows so much about them. And he's able to speak to Gentiles, to the non-Jews, because he knows so much about them. He has done his homework. And there's a value, going back to the Jews, of of knowing their laws and customs and, and dietary restrictions, which is so much a part of these chapters. But Paul is saying, don't focus on these. He knows their stories. He's, he knows the territory and the culture of Corinth and the language. And he's able to speak to them in a way that they understand. So Paul has earned this right to share. He's earned the right to be heard. And it's okay as he's trying to communicate to, to the Gentiles. It's okay to have this barbecue and eat this meat, sacrifice to, to, to idols. But if it causes you to sin and to stumble, he, don't do it. And he addresses the weak in this passage. He says, if that discourages you and causes you to stumble in doubt, don't eat it. Don't bother with it. By no means, no, no barbecue today. There's a, there's a hospitality and humility um, that I believe comes to life more so for me than for you, but I just, I, I wanted to sh- share, you, share with you something that, that changed my life and, and that changed my story. So I'm a sophomore um, in high school. And, and that year, um, I'm a sophomore, there were, there were two seniors who um, were Division I athletes going to West Virginia. One of them was six foot ten. And the other um, was six foot five or six foot six, something like that. And, and these guys were big guys. And I'm not a big guy. And uh, uh, one of them, Keith, tackled me and I broke my ankle. Uh, and, and missed the rest of the season. I was, I was on the bench, so that doesn't matter whatsoever. But I remember walking or, or limping in my cast. And I'm over at the, the parking lot. And then walk over to the football field. And this person in, engages with me. This older, younger dude um, starts talking to me. I say older because I know that he's not in high school. And I say younger because is he a, 
Is he in prep school? Is he a college student? Is he a, a young teacher? And he's a nice person, a nice guy, a, a cool guy. His, his name is Dane, um, of all people. And of all things, I get invited to this meeting, which is, which is um, called a, a Young Life Club. And I don't know what that is, and I'm not really excited to, to go to that, but I check it out, and that same guy, Dane, he's playing his guitar. And all these students, and I'm like, what? How is that student there? And all these, these kids are laughing and, and going crazy, and, and, and then Dane pulls out his Bible, and everyone quiets up. And Dane shares about Jesus in a way that finally makes sense to me as a teenager. And that's an encounter where Dane lays down his rights, gets down on my level, and is at my school. He's coming to games, and he's on our turf. And this has changed the trajectory of my story, the trajectory trajectory of my future and my life, and so that I would hear about this good news that Jesus is offering. And Paul's perspective of freedom is he lays down his rights for others and meets people where they are. I had a professor in seminary, his name's D.A. Carson, and he writes this, when the last century Hudson Taylor, the founder of the China Inland Mission, started to wear his, long, with, wear his hair long and braided like Chinese men of the time and to put on their clothes and to eat their food. Many of the other fellow missionaries made fun of him. But Hudson Taylor thought through what was essential to sharing the gospel, to meeting them where they are. Taylor did this for the purpose of, of, of this, and, and he's known as the most significant missionary to China and maybe one of the most important missionaries in the world. You and I have freedom, and you have freedom to be at River Ridge Church. You have freedom. Uh, you didn't have to be here. You have space to... to to go where you might want to go, to travel there and to, to be there. And, and so to be at whichever, a game, a practice, a party, event. And, and some of you, I really believe you have no margin at all to do those things. But as Paul has showed us, are you using your freedom for the best and the benefit of others? You know, as a church, there's, there's areas to serve, and we want folks to be serving. There's the areas where we want to help people grow and take their next steps in their, in their journey with God, and we, um, we, we would love to, to have more life groups and life group leaders serving and helping them um, walk with Jesus. Could God be using you for something greater as you lay down your rights for someone else? In verse 22, Paul shares this as he reminds us of our motivation. I've become all things to all people so that I may by every possible means save some. 
And that brings us to number three. Our motivation is the prize of saving some. And Paul knows the gospel well enough to know that he doesn't save. God saves. And um, Matt may have shared to you about his own young life leader. Um, his name is Brad Johnson, and, and I served on staff with Brad, and I'm, I'm sitting on a rocking chair um, with Brad because I've seen him at camps. We've taken um, high school students to camps, and I'm on a rocking chair, and I just remember these important words that Brad shared. He's telling me, it's not our job to make people respond to the gospel. It is our job to present it and share the good news. It is our job to scatter seeds like the parable of the sower in, in, in Mark 4, where there's this hope that this good soil produces fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. So Paul understands this, there's that, that he won't in his own power be able to save everybody, but he knows that through what he shares in the gospel, um, some will be saved. Some will know the truth of this good news of Jesus. Where is our power? Now, our power is not with words, and that's a reminder of what we talked about several weeks ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Our words are not with, not with words, but with the Spirit's power. The Spirit of God is working in you, and the Spirit of God is working in me. And, it, and Paul shares this as he's, he's talking to his audience in the beginning of the letter. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus and him crucified. My message and my pre preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of what? Of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not depend on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And Paul is saying, it's not me. It's something greater working within me. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus, that same Holy Spirit is alive and active in you. You're important, but you're not that important. Jimmy plants, Janie waters, but this is what happens. God makes the seed grow. That's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 3, and, and you have a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, and can do amazing, amazing things through a people who walk in the Spirit act in faith, and take their next steps in loving others. Laying down their rights and sharing this incredible news that Jesus loves them. Guys, Riley is still running. <laughs> and until we have reached our last breath, we have every opportunity to run in freedom and to live for the benefit of someone else. So we consider Paul's words again. 
verse 24, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Run in such a way to know Jesus and to make him known. Run in such a way that you know that you're running under the pow- in the power of the Holy Spirit. Run in order that, that through your life, Jesus might save some. Verse 25, it says, Now everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. Train well. Run with discipline. Run and know that your race has eternal value and that you play a role in introducing someone to Jesus. Verse 26, so I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Verse 27, instead I discipline my body and bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So let's run with purpose and focus. In Hebrews it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. I'm going to close with praying, but I'm also wanting to um, share this prayer that, that I've read recently as, as I, in my devotions. It's, it's from the book of Common Prayer. Um, and it goes like this. Almighty God, and so let's pray together. Almighty God, you open the way of eternal life to every race and nation by the promised gift of your Holy Spirit. Shed abroad this gift throughout the world by the preaching of the gospel that it may reach to the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Jesus, we are grateful that your message has come to us, that your message has, has made root in our lives. And Lord, I also pray for um, my friends here today who may have not made that decision to know and follow you, but Lord, um, encourage their hearts. But Jesus, thank you for this freedom, um, this example of Paul, and Lord, may we adopt his, his own example and attitude and run this race run this race of knowing Jesus and making him known. Running this race so that um, someone we know and love will know that Jesus loves them. And Lord, help us run this race um, and may you be glorified in all that we say and what we do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.